to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men 273, the February 1991 issue on sale December 4th of 1990. Cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Too Many Mutants or Whose House Is This Anyway? Ron's House. How do you know Ron? <laughs> uh yeah, I actually meant to say Run's house. Oh. But uh-huh. inside story that nobody would understand but me. It's just sort of a natural response that whenever anybody asks whose house is this, I always respond with Ron's house because me and my wife used to do this game where say whose house is this Ron's house and then it morphed into Ron's house because it would be like how somebody might hear it and be like, who's Ron and why is this his house? <laughs> Uh, so it was a call and response. It was, it was involuntary, and people listening were like, I don't, what is this guy saying? It doesn't make any sense, and it's not funny. Well, there it is. That's the backstory. Well, you should have just run with it, or run with it. <laughs> run. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is, a, this is a danger room, potentially a danger room first. It's, is it the danger room? I think they're in a different room. No, no, no. Oh, wait, no. We're the danger room. We are I the danger room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and you might, buckle up, everybody. You might be in for a ride of, of different sorts because it's Sunday morning, and we typically record these in the evening when we've, you know, had like a, the day behind us and woken up and fully caffeinated and whatnot, and here it is Sunday morning. A little look behind the curtain. Yeah. For you. Just for the you. Fan. Just the just the one fan. <laughs> Everybody else. Well, the other two people are like, uh, we stopped listening like <laughs> episodes ago. So, yeah, it's a Jim Lee cover. Everybody, it's got a bunch of uh, it's got a bunch of mutants on there. There's a woman. Well, I don't think I ever knew it was a woman on the cover until this read through, when I actually noticed that below the X Men logo there is like a polka dotted skirt. Exactly. Yeah. Prior to yeah. this read through, I think I just assumed it was like some some person, nondescript it's some person, person. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily like a woman. Could have been, uh, you know, alien man, whatever. The the polka dot skirt is there to let us know that it is Lila Shaney. I mean, oh, I guess right. I guess I think through we, we saw her with the polka dot. We pointed it out every time she wore it. Yes. And I think when I was reading and even rereading the X-Men, I, I never really read any of the New Mutants. So I was aware of who Lila Cheney was, but I wasn't aware of her polka dotted skirt. So to I me, this was just... She's only had the polka dotted skirt in issues of X-Men that were drawn by Jim Lee. I think oh, the really? polka dotted skirt is a Jim Lee creation entirely. Oh, it could be. Okay. Well, then I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Um, and the, that's and that's exactly it. It's like for the people that are paying attention, you're like, oh, look, it's Lila Cheney. Yeah. Or as if you're not paying attention, you're like, oh, who is this mysterious person on the cover who's saying that following Exxon or Professor X dies? I'm actually a little surprised that the follow me X-Men isn't followed by a trademark or Professor X isn't also followed by a trademark. Oh, yeah, normally, it's, you, just get, you get your trademarks and your copyrights and all that stuff. Maybe for like a month they ran out of the trademark. Maybe. So they, but, yeah. this would be the time that anybody could use the X-Men. It was December of 1990. Yeah. I wonder you, you should look you, you should look at December 90 like 
like Valiant or Dark Horse? Did they introduce a character called Professor X and the X Men? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so I doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> so below Lila Cheney's legs, you've got Cannonball, who you'd think would be kind of happy to be like, "Hey," but he's not. He's I, very surprised looking. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe in the next panel of the cover, his his surprise will turn into amusement and happiness maybe you get psylocke you get jubilee they're also very surprised uh, wolverine's in the foreground behind him is storm in her new short hairdo mm-hmm. uh, you got jean gray she's also on the cover back behind her is uh, a rather flat maybe they forgot to ink uh cable looks like the inks are pretty light on him yeah and then behind them uh you've got gambit and Cyclops and uh, uh, Archangel. And then rounding out the cast above everybody else is Banshee. And you missed one. Who did I miss? Oh, Sunspot. Yeah. yeah. He's tucked away in there. In fact, I don't think Sunspot's actually even in this issue. I don't think so either. It should have <laughs> been Boom Boom. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think every other character on this cover is featured or has a line, except for or Sunspot. It also, it also could have been Iceman. Yep. So there you go. Uh, that is the cover. Benchy and Cable both look angry, and everybody else looks surprised. I suppose Archangel looks angry as well. Mm-hmm. And Gambit looks kind of peeved. I feel like those 90s characters only have two looks, amused and angry. Yeah. They're, they can't look surprised, just angry. I feel like uh, Jim Lee started with Jean Grey and Wolverine, because I feel like those two have the most amount of detail. Possibly. Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad cover. Um, it's too messy, in my opinion, to put on a shirt. It's a lot of people. Um, everybody looks good, but it's just a lot of people. I think I think if you pull off Lila Cheney in the foreground and then you slap it on a T-shirt, maybe you got something going on. But That's also, true. also you've got a stark white background, which I guess makes sense because it's already messy enough. You don't need to uh, throw trees and stuff or whatever. Like a Tony Stark white background? Yes. Yes. Tony Stark <laughs> is in this. These are morning jokes, folks. Oof. Ah, it's going to be a long one. So, yeah, we open up this thing here and. Uh, and we're in the war room now. Apparently, this is a new room underneath the the, uh, the mansion. And. Uh, well, yeah. they say that it's in a space that these three, Storm, Gene, and Cyclops, have come to call their war room. And. I think it's interesting, right? So you got Storm, leader of the X-Men, Cyclops, leader of X-Factor, Gene. Co-leader of X-Factor, let's say. Sure. Uh, and we'll see Cable. You know, he, he's going to be, he's gonna be a, a, a detractor. But you'd think that you'd have like the three leaders kind of up in the little, little war room perch that they're in. But it's cool. It's good. So Storm has short hair now, which me- makes me think that it's been a few months since Extinction Agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They don't Scares really tell us what the, they don't tell us what the timeline is, but that makes sense. Behold, my friends, our world, the forces currently arrayed against us, and as we best as best we can determine their location. The question now becomes, what do we do about them? Which I don't know. The answer seems pretty simple. Either something or nothing. <laughs> what are the options? And so I guess the way that this is positioned, 
Uh, and I'm going to be one of those nitpicky guys here. Cyclops is wearing his sunglasses mm-hmm. in this big mm-hmm. first page spread. But then we get sort of a, a narrow strip or maybe like a, a sixth of two pages going across where we show all the X-Men. And, and I stand corrected. Sunspot is actually featured here and I believe only here. But yeah. but basically, I think it's all of the members of all of the teams that, that we currently have at the moment. And the way that they're positioned is that Storm, Gene, and Cyclops are in the foreground, and then all of the mutants are behind them. So, <laughs> uh, But Cyclops is also wearing his visor in this panel. And we quickly figure out why, because this thing is penciled by Will Sportacio, Klaus Janssen, John Byrne, Rick Leonardi, Mark Silvestri, Michael Golden, Larry Stroman, and Jim Lee. That's a lot of people. And poor Scott Williams is like, man... I got to ink all of this, and it's super inconsistent. <laughs> He's keeping it all together. It's the only consistency throughout. Yeah. Well, I mean, Chris Claremont's writing, so there's a little consistency there. But Tom Morzikowski's the letter. Joe Rosas is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. We got a big old map that has the locations of various X-Men enemies. Yeah, each one of them is prefaced with Locus, East Asia, Threat, The Hand. Locus, Manhattan. I don't know what locus means. I guess it just means location. You think that's just like shorthand for location? Yeah, it's just like a cool army way of saying it. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Hellfire Club, Masks, Morlocks, Fenris. Are they still a threat? Yeah, I mean, they, um, they're, they're not like in, in jails or, or jail or anything. Oh, here we go. Hand, Locus. Locus, technical, a particular position, point, or place. So it's, it's a real word. The press gang, the magistrates. Wait, didn't we just deal with them? Cameron Hodge? Didn't we just deal with him? Yeah. Somebody needs to update the map. <laughs> Zaladane? Does anybody really care about what's going on with Zaladane? I think. Is this where the Savage Land is on the. Oh, okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I never really realized where the Savage Land was. Yep. Um, it's on the, the South Pole for those listening and not seeing. When they left Extinction Agenda, uh, they left basically Wolfsbane and Havoc in charge to sort of reform everything. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I guess the press gang might still be floating around. Cameron Hodge's head, like he is immortal. It's probably rolling around somewhere. Press gang slash commander parentheses Cameron Hodge. So Cameron Hodge is not the commander anymore. I still say somebody needs to update the files. Oh, I think you're right. I absolutely agree. Uh, yeah, and so Cable, Cable's like, we gotta go take them out. Gotta hit them hard, to hit anybody, them fast. We got the power. Look at all these people. Answers simple to anyone with brains, lady. <laughs> yeah, hit them hard, hit them fast. We got the power, people. Past time we used it. Cable goes on and he's like, isn't this why you took the X-Men underground, letting everybody believe that they're dead, your families and friends, that you could strike? Uh, You'd have the freedom to strike the bad guys with a greater degree of impunity? And Storm's like, whoopsie. (laughs) It might have been a mistake. My bad. Which made me think, like, that was their purpose, but they never ever did any of that. Mostly they just hung out. Yeah, I wonder if... uh, Did the X-Men accomplish anything in Australia? Other than getting repeatedly attacked? The only thing that I think that they 
accomplished was striking out at the Marauders during Inferno. Okay. But you could also argue that they struck out at the Marauders sort of uh, uh, at the will of Madeline Pryor as the Goblin Queen. Like, get my baby. She kind of had like some sway or possession uh, over the X-Men for that whole ordeal. But that's like the only thing I could think of, because of, they could have struck out at the Hellfire Club. Um, I guess that's really it. The Hellfire Club and the Marauders. Any of the people on, these, on this map. Fenris. But Fenris is only really attacked, I thought, only really attacked uh, Banshee and Forge. Then they did something else in some other issues that we covered in right. some other comic. I think when Storm lost her Cloak powers, I think Fenris was involved a little bit. But I don't know that the X-Men have like squared off against Fenris. I think they've just kind of been on the periphery of like, we caught them on our yacht in our skimpy little bathing suits. And the X-Men are like, what was that? <laughs> Anyways, no, I don't think they accomplished anything in Australia. I think it was a neat idea. Yeah, and I wonder if Chris Claremont had like a ton of ideas that just never came together. And, you know, by he was probably trying to do maybe like a slow burn of like running through these stories. And then Inferno popped up and he's like, all right, we'll deal with this. And and then Extinction Agenda. And they're like, well, all right, there goes that whole Australia idea. <laughs> I got too many balls in motion. I, I can't stop. Yeah. And I think I've said it before. I always, I always felt that there were a lot of filler issues uh, in the Australia run of of just not advancing the plot or I don't know. I don't know either. I'd have to, all I can think of is Dazzler and Havoc running. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of running. I think that led up to things, but the, the issues that stand out in my head are the one issue where Colossus visits Ilyana and Baba Yaga, if you remember that issue. Was that an actual issue or was that an annual? Why do I feel like... It was yeah. It was an issue, uh, okay. and it was drawn by, like, I think, Rick Leonardi. I think I complained about it. Uh, and then there's another issue where Longshot finds all the treasure, and he's able to get the psychic impressions, and they have to go all, do all the Christmas deliveries. It's like the Christmas issue. I always felt that that was kind of fillerish. Maybe these are the actual ideas that Chris Claremont had. Maybe. It's like, you're calling all my main ideas filler. <laughs> Those are all going to lead to important things that I never got around to. That'd that be amazing. That was the meat. <laughs> all that all other, this stuff. other stuff was the filler. Yeah. Nanny, Inferno, all that stuff. Well, anyways, um, Cable wants to basically be the leader of this giant crew and, and basically start taking targets out. And uh, Cyclops and Gene... And I think Storm, they all sort of argue that, like, that goes completely against Professor Xavier's dream of all of us living together and, and coexisting and whatnot. A couple of things that don't fly with what we know about Cable. One, he calls Storm doll. Yes. It just doesn't feel like something he would do. No. Uh, second, he's arguing with his dad. But, <laughs> he, I mean, we don't know that yet. So I'll let that slide. Yeah. I think you'd have a little more reverence given what you know about your about what's going on with your dad. Do they ever, and I, I don't expect you to know this answer, but do they ever offer an explanation of, of that, of maybe Cable, like, lost his memories when he went back in time? There's, like, so much stuff that I haven't read yeah. that exists that, yeah, I'm sure they do, but I don't, I don't know. Right. 
Because at this point, they, they don't really need to. I mean, no. they could just say that he's he he knows, but nobody else knows. So he's just this is he's just being cable, I guess. Right, and then maybe you could t- you could definitely I don't even want to say retcon, but you could definitely write a future story where you know he he's from the future, so he knows all this stuff, and this this could have been a uh, uh, important point of history that if he could have just swayed the X Men and X Factor to strike uh, early, they could have avoided the disastrous future. But as far as this creative staff is concerned, Cable is just an old man that has been around for a while and has just decided to make himself uh, reveal himself. There's not a lot of um, so far. There's not a lot for Chris Claremont to go up for what Cable yep. is, and I feel like he's kind of running with it. And he, he definitely, this version of Cable definitely has that classic Chris Claremont Wolverine slash Gambit slash everybody <laughs> voice. Uh yeah. I mean, I sort of look at it like you know, when anybody else writes Wolverine, they usually get it wrong. Uh, and I yeah. think the the uh, it's flipped here that Chris Claremont's writing Cable, and he doesn't quite know. But to be fair, I don't think anybody knows. That's true. That's true. I don't even think Rob Liefeld knows. Cable calls out like all those dead bodies upstairs. You got Warlock and Cipher uh, dead. He leaves out uh, uh, Thunderbird, but Storm mentions him later. He doesn't know about Thunderbird. Wolfsbane's a Genosian mutate, a genetically engineered slave. You want to see more end up like that? And I think Wolfsbane is not... She's a Genosian mutate, but she's not a slave anymore. Didn't she break free of that? I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I I thought when she turns into a wolf, she's fine. But when she's a I think mutate, when she's a human, she's sort of sort of subservient. I don't think she's like a slave, but I think she could probably be told what to do, and she'd be like, eh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that we ever deal with that. <laughs> Storm freaks out. She's like, you don't know anything about the X Men or X Factor, or even the New Mutants, or the Dream. That brought us together. Do you, Storm? Do any of you anymore? Splintered into a handful of teams, running all over the map, no focus, less reaction, half the time doing your enemy's job for them. I don't I don't know if that's true. <laughs> uh, all I'm Cite s- examples, Cable. Right. All I'm saying is that somebody has to do better. Cable storms out of the, the war room there. Boom Boom's outside in the hallway, and I guess she's got to use the bathroom something fierce, and apparently in this giant mansion, even though it's all underground, there's only one bathroom, and uh, Iceman's in there, and she's pounding on the door. She's like, let me in. I really got to go. And so Iceman's like, all right, there you go, and and Boom Boom well, runs. Cable pounds on the door oh, right. and says, Iceman, show some consideration before I lose my temper, capiche? I don't think Cable would say capiche. Yeah, yeah. The whole, I don't think Cable would slam on the door like this either. Well, I think we sort of established in, I'm trying to think about this, in Extinction Agenda that he has a bit of a temper. You recall that he like kicks down the door of the danger room. It's like, it's the new mutant's turn to exercise. Yeah, but that was written by Chris Claremont, I think. Yeah, so I guess that's that's the angle that they're going off of. Like, Cable makes a point, doesn't get his way, and then just gets angry. <laughs> Trust me, kiddo, that ain't a pretty sight. Yeah. And so Iceman's like, oh, boy, I was running the water. Uh, there you go, boomers. It's all yours. And she's like, thank you, thank you. And she runs in, and the entire bathroom is covered in ice. And Iceman's like, gotcha. And I'm like, what What are we What are we calling back to? Uh, the time that 
Boom Boom did something to Iceman and he was chasing her around. I think it was an X Factor. That was like in in like real continuity, like it was seven years, years ago. Seven years ago. I don't know. There was maybe, maybe more like two or three, but uh, what issue? No, what issue is X Factor on at this point? I have no. I don't know. Because eighty. 80? Yeah, I, I think that if if what you were saying is true, because there was definitely that point in time where Boom Boom and Beast were, or sorry, Beast and Iceman were chasing Boom Boom around. But I want to say that that was like issue like 12 of X Factor. No. Yes. It's definitely. Maybe. It's definitely before know. Fall of the Mutants. Yeah. And Fall of the Mutants. Okay, so three years, because I think Fall of the Mutants is like 1987. After Secret Wars 2. After Secret Wars 2, for sure, which is 85. So, all right, three years, we'll call it. It's been in in real time. Anyways, so it's... A, That's, I mean, this is the only reference to that. It has to be a reference to that. Because otherwise, this is just a random thing that's happening. It it just feel it just felt, to me, it felt out of place. And I was well, like... Well, it, it, it feels out of place because it's in the middle of, like, this talky issue. We have these kind of hijinks going on. Yeah, I, I don't know if they needed to fill a couple panels or... You got to break up the seriousness with some hijinks. I guess. Okay. And that's the hijink they came up with. All right. Yeah. No worries. So then they uh, they complain about Cable and then they're trying to figure... You do get to see uh, Storm's new outfit. It's got it's got a lightning bolt sort of on the front. It's yeah. kind of neat. Yeah. It's it's a good outfit. Uh, she got I feel some... like this is a Wills Portatio design or at least it would carry on through his version of the X-Men. Yeah. Storm is continuing to second guess her, uh, plan to take the X-Men to Australia. Cyclops is like, Hey, you know, we got the ship. Why don't you, why don't you live, live on our ship and we could all be there. It's got the added benefit of it doesn't let anybody but mutants on the ship. Just like Krakoa. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. What about, Professor Xavier's dream of integration of mutants into society. We can't just remove ourselves and hang out in a spaceship over uh, over the city. She gotta... said specifically, if instead we remove ourselves completely from it, do we do we not run the risk of becoming precisely what those like Magneto, Magneto have oh always God. believed us to be, an elite Homo sapiens superior? And it's an interesting argument because it it still reflects today in the like Krakoa story. Yeah. It's like this is essentially uh, foretelling the future. Yes. I also can't that believe kind of that you said Magneto. This is how I used to read it, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it is a it is a good point. It, it's poignant of like, hey, how, if we don't live among them, how can we try to integrate and be, be with them if we're flying above them? Which you'd think that Cyclops and Gene would be like, oh my God, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. It's It's interesting that like, I wonder if... Jonathan Hickman has this panel plastered up on his thing. He's like, this, this is where I'm going with the story. We're taking this idea. I don't right know. Here. Probably not, but I mean, kind of neat. Of the... It'd be kind of neat if it, there was actually a kernel in, you know, his story ideas from something around here. Of the thousands of issues of uh, mutant stories, I, I think there's parallels to multiple things, and it's probably mostly just happenstance, but maybe not. Anyways, they, they go on and they're like, hey, speaking of Magneto, you know, I, I know you thought he was your friend, but look, he's fighting Iron Man. That doesn't seem right. I think he's evil again. So we should probably find him, see what's going on there. She doesn't point out that he said, I'm going to go pretend like I'm evil again. 
<laughs> I don't know where they're going with that. I don't think anybody knows where they're going with that. And st- well, they're going to X-Men number one. Right. Uh, another error in judgment on my part to trust him for all his faults, Gene. He tried his best while he was headmaster here to care for the new mutants. Cyclops was there for all that. I mean, he, he was there side by side with Magneto and he, he doesn't say anything. Well, he was there briefly. Before, yeah, he was there before like he got kicked out of the team by Storm. Yeah, it's, it's probably a it's probably a harsh memory for him. It's like I don't like to talk about those times. Yeah. Wherever Magneto's vanished to after the last fight with the Avengers, we've got to find him. Says Cyclops. Yeah. Storm's <laughs> like, nah, he's peripheral. It is Cable and the challenge he poses we must deal with. Have either have either of you considered that he might be right? I mean, that's an option. Times have changed. Um, and now there's a third answer we must find. Are we fit caretakers uh, any longer for Xavier's school and his dream? Or has the time come to turn it over to others? Let the new mutants take over. She does kind of go through like the the uh, generations of the X-Men, right? The original X-Men, the Krakoa X-Men, and, and now there's the new mutants. And so maybe they're... They're the future, and these two other groups, these two other generations, should take a step back and let them lead, which is an interesting idea. Or we should just have all three of them lead in three separate comics. <laughs> well, it's probably what they're going to do. Or, or, or even split a couple into two so that you can have four comics. Exactly. Mm, brilliant. So somewhere else in the sprawling underground complex uh banshee is hanging out by a tele or um a holograph projector holographic comlink yeah and uh moira mctaggart shows up and she's wearing like sexy skin tight outfit and he's thinking to himself man this is crazy what is happening with her she looks pretty good except for her her leg there is a little kind of back warped but I, I can blame that on the hologram. Yeah, the back left leg kind of looks like a, like a, it's like, like a deer or something, like an alien leg with the, <laughs> with the backward alien three, I think. But I, I'm, I'm going to say that's the hologram. Sure. So she reaches out to give him a big hug, but then she's like, "Oh man, we're just holograms." Well, anyways, hey, I miss you. Meanwhile, Banshee through this whole thing is thinking like, "Whoa, why is she dressed like that? Why is she acting so weird? This mm-hmm. is weird." I forgot that Moira was weird, apparently. Right. What's happened to her? First, it's uh, as though the fiercest Highlander side of her nature has overwhelmed all of her gentler aspects. Beast pokes his head in. He's like, oh, hey, you're you're needed in the Banshee, in the uh, danger room. And even though we established that this is a hologram, uh, Moira reaches out, somehow is able to grab... uh, banshee's chin pull it towards her and give him a kiss and say until we meet something to remember me by and she must do it in a really odd sort of way because what seems totally normal to me beast freaks out and is like oh my stars and garters and then goes on to think to himself boy moira's really weird so she must be like until we meet again sean cassidy (laughs) (laughs) so i think her reaching out to kind of give like the holographic kiss that's fine that that i don't i don't think that's weird about this what i think is weird is that banshee is now in a position where like a kiss could actually be happening and his chin could be cradled in her hands so i think he's the weirdo that contorts himself to be in the position where all of this makes sense when really she should just be like sort of reaching through him and being like oh, oh this kiss isn't working 
He's got his eyes closed. He can't see how weird he looks. <laughs> yeah. Beast is like, that's not how I remember Moira. And Banshee's like all angry. And he's like, me neither. Do your business. And he screams down the hallway. And Beast is like, Banshee, don't. Oh, man. I guess it really hurts his ears. And he thinks to himself, man, Banshee knows better than to scream down the hallways. He must really be uh, caught up in his thoughts. Moira's got him seriously distracted, and why not? She's one eminently distractible woman. I must confess, I didn't think she had that in her. Keep this up, Forge, you'll worry. Oh, he comes into a room with Forge, and he notices that Forge is working hard. You're going to worry away what little hair you've got left. So Forge is working through the problem of how to fully restore uh, rain back back to normal, and the, the plan here is that since Forge's abilities, his mutant ability is to create any machine he wants to, that if he can just work through it, he can create a machine that will restore Wolfsbane. The problem is, is that Gene Engineer is dead, so he doesn't have any of the source material to work through. And as time goes on, it's going to become harder and harder to revert her state, and somehow all of that makes sense as to why uh, Storm was able to break her hold and turn back into an adult. Uh well, we also know that the gene engineer put something inside of Storm to allow her to do that. To, I th- to break through or to turn into an adult? Both. Okay. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The gene engineer was a master. I mean, he also made it so that he could touch everybody and bring back their powers. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that part makes... I don't want to say that makes sense. Uh, it seems like a plot <laughs> contrivance, but... Um, I always sort of took the her turning back into an adult as sort of an unanticipated consequence of everything or another plot contrivance to make her not a 10 year old girl. Yeah. Yeah. Either way to, to, to reset, to press the reset button, essentially. Yeah. Either way, they're, they're attempting to do a little bit of an explanation here. Uh, um, so whatever in the danger room. Cannonball and Archangel, they're they're having a little exercise session. Uh, the safeties are on, so you know nobody's going to get hurt. Yeah, uh, none of this seems necessary. But well, that's what you do when you're in the danger room. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's another shenanigans to keep the seriousness of the issue. You know, you got to have some action. Like this is the only action scene in this issue. Yeah, I I think that. The issue is obviously designed around, okay, uh, Extinction Agenda is over. The X-Men are back from the dead. Um, and now X-Factor. So you got the three, all the mutants basically in one complex and, and trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do next? And you mm-hmm. basically have to do that in one issue because you have other books coming out in the same month. And that's fine, right? So we can have all of this sort of dialogue and planning and stuff. Um, I feel like there just wasn't enough story to carry an entire issue. And that's why they're throwing in these, like, well, okay, uh, Angel and Cannonball, they're, they're in the danger room. Because there's nothing in this this. Uh, story here that like moves moves the plot forward it's just like okay angel and and cannonball are in the danger room and angel is uh uh handily dealing with cannonball which makes sense because angel's older and more experienced yeah it's unnecessary but i think it's just a a chance for chris claremont to play with some toys that he hasn't played with in a while sure he does you're right he definitely doesn't do anything to advance their storylines or even even really touch upon any of whatever their current story arcs are now the next page on the other hand completely opposite is 
Storm hanging outside of the the blown up mansion, and she's sort of second guessing herself. And and uh, 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 Gambit shows up, and he's like, "Hey, Stormy, let's uh, hit the road. We have things to steal and money to make." And Storm's like, "No, I'm not that girl anymore. I'm older. I'm wiser, and my place is here." Well, why don't you act like a leader then? More or less. There's a lot more dialogue, but the point is, is that this panel advances the story. That last pa- that last page did not advance the story. It doesn't. Well, it, it does. You're right. Uh, I don't know what, because the dialogue's a little clunky. It is. In the last two panels, she says, here I, here I belong, Gamut. Here I stay. These are my friends, my family, in every sense, blood. They need me, and I them. And then he says, then do us a favor, Sherry, (laughs) and start acting the part. But what does he mean by start acting the part, like of of family or as a leader, like you said? Or what is he he trying to get at? I feel like... It's not entirely clear. And that's just the dialogue. Exactly. I'm I'm reading between the lines. This is my own interpretation, because nothing here really tells it. Because when you first start reading these panels... You sort of, I sort of got the sense that Gambit's like, all right, let's get out of here, you know, because in the last issue when she turned from a child to an adult, he's like, oh, I do not know if I like this. Um, so if you if you carry on from that, you're like, well, maybe he's like, Let, I need to get her out of here so we can go back to that life that we used to have. Uh, but then by the end of the panel, it does sort of seem like maybe he he started off that conversation with like, hey, remember that stuff we used to do? Let's go do that again, knowing full well that that wasn't her life's design. And by sort of having this conversation, he could sort of drive home the point of like, well, you're still kind of acting like a child. So by saying, do us both a favor and start acting the part, he's saying, act like a grown up. Mm-hmm. And I, there's, I feel like there's a little bit of a sexual connotation there. Oh, like, eh, I I didn't get that at all, but I, well, I guess the, 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 I did. I so the other reason that I got that is when we cut to the uh, the later scene with Gambit and Wolverine, uh, Jubilee speculates that Wolvie's mad because Gambit's hitting on Storm. Yeah, we can, we can talk about that in a minute, but uh. so I feel I, and I and I feel like previously there was also that thing. It was like when he first saw that she was growing up, he was like, "Oh, this is a this is different." I don't. I'll have to figure out what to do with this. Yeah, and it and it was very kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, and I right. feel like they're continu- eventually they're going to lose that thread as soon as Rogue shows up. But like, I know right now I feel like they don't quite know what they want to do with Rogue and or uh, Storm and Gambit. I completely agree because in the sort of the the young Storm Gambit adventures, there's. There's zero sexual tension, which is great, right? Because she's ten or twelve, and he's right. twenty five or twenty. How are like so so good? Do a do a sort of an adventurer sidekick sort of thing, which is what they did. But then when she turned into an adult, I feel like the writers, maybe maybe the creative staff, were like, "Oh, we don't know what to do with this." Now she's a woman. Gamby is a or Gambit and Gamby. Gamby. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of fun. Uh, Gambit is a ladies' man, so right. there's no way that he can just be friends with a woman. Right. So I think it's the creative staff being like, well, now she's a woman, so of course Gambit's going to be conflicted. And But yeah, you're right. They drop all of that. Um, but I don't think that that I, – I personally don't feel like that's what's happening here. I think that he's 
doing that sort of like mid movie move where you're like, all right, well, let's let's hit the road. Let's leave these jackasses. And that gives her time to reflect and be like, well, but they're my family and uh, they need a leader. And and then for that person who was initially trying to say, like, let's hit the road, like, well, enact the part. I like that better. But the (laughs) art is saying the art is saying something else because he looks downright evil in this last panel. Yeah, so I and or, I don't know. Let's say, let's say devious. Yeah, so in the last two Gambit panels here, his eyes turn shadowy and red. And then the last panel, he's got sort of a mischievous grin. His eyes are sort of evil looking and then they're bright red. So you are sort of like, I mean, you could you could even look at this as maybe like the Shadow King is infesting his mind. Or he is like, well, why don't you lay down with Gambit? <laughs> I don't like to think of either though. I think he's just he's just the guy that's like, hey, think about your lot in life. We all make mistakes. Now go take knowing, ownership. Knowing where we came from and where we're going, then yeah, I, I agree with you. That makes the most sense. <laughs> so let's let's just move on. All right. So meanwhile, there's more hijinks featuring Boom Boom and Iceman. And now Silek is in the mix too. Yeah. Uh, basically, Boom Boom is chasing Iceman around the mansion, throwing stuff at her, and Psylocke shows up and. And, uh, I don't know, gives Iceman a stiffy, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Psylocke, fancy meeting you. What I don't, what I don't care for here is that Iceman, and I know that Iceman is like the youngest of the old X-Men, but I feel like the old X-Men at this point are all like in their 30s. Uh, yeah. And Iceman here is drawn to look like he's 22. <laughs> and... Doing the hijinks of a of a twenty two year old, so I don't yep. know what where they're trying to go with Iceman's arc here, because I also I, also thought he was sort of maturing with that girlfriend of his. Yeah, I I, I guess she doesn't matter in this issue. No, not at She'll all. Probably matter when we get back to X Factor. I hope, but maybe not. Who knows? Uh, yeah. So so yeah, she he sees he sees Psylocke and he immediately stops, turns away, stops being ice. He's just like, oh, look at her. Because I do like a full panel of her standing in her sexy new outfit. Yep, yep. And he's like, oh, 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 I'm actually meeting you here. And that's when Psylocke's like, oh, you spaz case. I better put you out of your misery. And puts a time bomb in his shorts. Boom, boom. Or boom, boom, rather. Is she major spaz case? I I like the idea that. You know, Jean comes up and she's like, hey, Bobby, you got to clean up all this ice. He's like, oh, 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 no problem. And then sort of off panel, his pants explode. (laughs) And Jean's just like standing there. I sort of like that idea that now he's just like standing in front of Jean, just naked, just like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. And he runs away. What was he doing here? Learning a real big lesson. Yeah, boom. He kind of, as he leaves, he kind of waves goodbye. See you guys. See you, Psylocke. Uh, and, and then Boom Boom runs off and Jean just takes off her shirt because apparently there's a shower nearby and is like, I hate waiting in the line for showers. <laughs> so like still just standing there watching. That's that's weird. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're comfortable around each other, but I didn't realize they were near a shower. Uh, yeah, they're because the, the establishing panel here is like they're in a sub level subterranean level but it's all partitioned off with rooms so there's too many people here not enough beds so they've basically made cubicle bedrooms for each person uh but then 
immediately we sort of round the corner into this sort of uh, gym shower. But whatever. Anyway, yeah, so she's she's completely comfortable. Takes all her clothes off in front of Psylocke, takes a shower, and they talk about, hey, have you called Brian? We go through that whole thing of, yeah, well, now I'm an Asian ninja. I don't know how you <laughs> take that, so I haven't called him yet. He had trouble last time when I had purple hair. I don't think he's going to like that I'm Asian now. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. she she goes on. She's like, well, I you know, I think I'm clear of the hand's control. Wolverine has vouched for me, but... I don't really know. And nobody seems quite sure of him either. Yeah. And so they transition over to... Whose art do you think this is? I'm going to go with Klaus Jansen. Sure. (laughs) But it's Wolverine and Gambit, and now they're in the danger room, and uh, Jubilee is running the controls, and uh, she's super jealous (laughs) for some reason. Is she running the controls, or is she just watching? Oh, maybe she's just watching. Because I, I, I find it hard to believe that she would be technologically savvy enough to run the danger room. I think just met the danger room. Yeah. But she's really jealous. She's like, what are you doing, Wolverine? Why are you trying to prove yourself? Uh, with this lamoid macho poop. You figure Gambit's making time with Storm. That why you angry? The heck with her. Where was she when you were hurting? What about me? <laughs> Jubilee is unnecessarily jealous. Yes. Because Wolverine's in a fight. And I don't think that there's been any scene or interaction between Wolverine or Storm where it's been like uh, sexual tension. If anything, you would expect like they're 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 good friends. They've known each other for years. Storm reverting to an adult uh, and and sort of Wolverine seeing her for the first time in a long time would gen would 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 definitely garner like uh, a uh, a hug, right? And probably a long hug of like, oh my god, my friend, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh, I missed you so much. Blah, blah, blah. Let me catch up on everything that's come on. But that hasn't happened, nor has there been like any sort of sexual tension. But meanwhile, Jubilee's like, what about me? Don't <laughs> even matter. You, you you plant seeds in the worst possible way. It's yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna make there be a tension between Storm and Wolverine and Gambit, not by showing that, yeah. but by having jubilee think about it and now it'll just be canon well and then she did the same thing when they met up with psylocke right she's like wolverine i don't trust that psylocke person what about me right meanwhile wolverine's just like wow psylocke you've changed we should probably figure (laughs) out what's happening (laughs) and not like oh psylocke i haven't noticed you so it's in it's 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 in jubilee's character to be overprotective of wolverine yeah maybe that's what we're going for but it's just sort of uh, ham-fistedly written. Yeah. So. A lot. Very much so. Um, yeah. I go or stay as I please, Monsieur Cervell. Ain't found a door yet. Stay close. I don't know what Gambit is saying here, but I guess... Um, he's gonna, he's gonna stick around the X-Men, I guess. Oh, and I guess the point here is Wolverine is, uh, sort of testing him. Yeah, Wolverine is testing his metal to see if he's worthy of staying on the team. Yep. Lady Deathstrike pops out for some reason and, and Wolverine well, slices Lady her Deathstrike pops out in a way that makes no sense because she answers Wolverine's yeah. thought. Kid's fast. I'll grant him that. Moves a lot like long shot. Seems I've lost a couple steps since then. And you are about to lose far more, she answers his thought yeah. somehow. Your day is done, Gaijin dog. And shouldn't Wolverine be like, wait. This doesn't make any sense. How'd <laughs> I was, you do that? I was thinking what you just answered to. Uh, and so he then just slices it up. Uh, 
Jubilee's like, what is this? Who ordered Death Strike Simulation? And then we see Gambit's eye glint, so that, I guess, establishes that Gambit knows how to run the Danger Room. And is like, ooh, Lady Deathstrike, who I've never met. Let's call her up. That's, yeah. <laughs> the Danger Room. Hey, Danger Room, when I, when I give the word, make sure that Wolverine's worst enemy, I don't know who that is, shows up. And the Danger Room is like, uh, uh, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> danger room also reads minds and is like you got it dude i was gonna who was the who was the guy that wolverine killed in space and for one issue took his costume oh yeah that guy i feel like I'm, that's who the danger room would call up for like wolverine's worst enemy the danger room's got access to the files okay wolverine so probably probably filled out my worst enemy <laughs> yeah yeah because you know that as soon as the x-men get back to the mansion they all fill out their action reports and then the exactly. danger room you know, immediately he's, is he's like sitting oh. down he's got his list he's got like saber tooth there lady death strike i'm gonna say lady death strikes my worst enemy i'm That's gonna say that they were keeping track of all of their records in australia and magically the danger room files and the australia supercomputer uh had a link to transfer yeah, those files. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, not Jean Grey, but Madeline, Madeline. <laughs> was was shipping all the information, all the updated files over to the danger room. Yeah. And because Lady Deathstrike uh, distracted Wolverine Gambit's able to get the upper hand and, and knock him down, knock him over uh, and is able to pin Wolverine on the ground as proving his mettle, proving his worth, proving he's got what it potentially takes to stay on the team. And as Wolverine's laying on the ground and Gambit's on top of him with his little bow staff, Jubilee is in the danger room crying. And you're like, why? Why are you crying? Because she's sad that Wolverine has lost his chops at this point. Mm-hmm. Wrong time for questions, Bo. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just for the know. record, though, just to make this official, bang, you dead. I feel like they could have established it a little bit better. Instead of having Jubilee be like all uh, upset about, you know, Storm's return and, and whatever jealousy, just be like, and she touches on it a little bit. Like, why? what do you have to prove? Like, why are you she, doing this? She says, this? show some consideration for yourself. You push like you're in tip top shape. Can't you see you're not even close? Why won't you listen? Yeah. So I think that's... they should have just left it all at that and gotten rid of all the, the jealousy stuff. And then when he loses the danger room fight, then she can be like, ah, right. Then she can cry and be like, oh, maybe he's done for my buddy. The Wolverine that Jubilee knows would never fall for this shenanigans. Yeah. Meanwhile. Even though she's only known him since he's been like severely damaged. Right. Jean, the Wolverine that she imagines she knows. Gene is, wants to use Cerebro to locate Rogue, Longshot, and Dazzler. It's a good plan. Yeah. So she throws it on. We get a little bit of a uh, flashback to the professor and uh, Moira and Jean sort of talking about locating mutants and stuff. And I guess this is sort of establishing maybe that Jean's had a little bit of training on how to use the, uh, how to use Cerebro. Yep. And Professor even says, I'm not sure if this is entirely safe, but there's more of us being born every day, so we need to teach her this thing. Yep. So she throws it on. She she goes into the astral plane, and she's like, oh, man, I remember this. This is awesome. We get a lot of different iterations of Jean uh, in Shards of Glass, which is kind of neat. And then the Shadow King shows up, and he's like, oh, man, Jean, you're here. Delicious. I want you. Remember me from X-Men 117? <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, there's a many pages here of basically the Shadow King trying to take over Jean. Psylocke shows up in her sort of like hand armor outfit. And uh, she pulls out her psychic knife and the Shadow King's like, that's not going to hurt me. And she's like, it's not for you. And she slices through Jean's head, which snaps her out of it, brings her out of the astral plane. Uh, Jean has a headache and, and Psylocke's like, hey, who was that? And what was happening? And Jean's like, I don't know. I, I don't remember. And evidently, that's uh, because of Psylocke's psychic knife. Like all of her sort of thoughts and stuff are scrambled. But it might. It might come back. Maybe. So. I don't remember. That, that convenience. Meanwhile, the three people that started the story off are sort of going to end it here as they're like, well, here we are, Cyclops, Storm, and Jean. Uh, something's going on. I'm probably better leave Cerebro alone. So maybe that's sort of establishing that there's there's an isolation now. They can't just reach out and use Cerebro because something else is happening. Uh, how do we face this new reality? Storm says, I intend we put it to a vote. Are we going to go up together, join Cable, or go no further? And that's when the X-Men proper emerge from the basement, uh, all wearing old school X-Men uniforms. Here we are, darling. Never, never thought I'd wear this monkey suit. I don't like it. But if we're a team, Maze Braves, we should dress the part, n'est-ce pas? <laughs> I hate him. I want my own colors back, says Jubilee. That's not her voice, though. That's I true. I don't remember what her voice was. Uh, I hate them. Yeah, I want yeah, my yeah. own colors back. Yeah. Banshee says, suffer, kiddo. Ford says, you got a storm. What comes next? So uh, we got Psylocke, Gambit, Wolverine, Jubilee, Banshee, and Forge and on the team. I have, I don't think they're the Toy Biz versions, but I'm looking at them right now. I have the version of Wolverine... Forge and Banshee uh, in these outfits on my shelf. Is it like a one pack or a three pack or whatever? Or is it separate? Oh, uh, I don't know. They're they're out of the packaging. Oh, okay. I've got a, a bunch of uh, the Toy Biz ones are way better. These are some other brands, so they're not quite as good. But when I got these action figures, I was like, I don't really remember Wolverine ever wearing like an old school X-Men outfit. But here he is. So yeah, he does it for about three or four issues before X-Men one, when everybody goes back to their original outfits. So, yeah, I don't know if this is like Chris Claremont saying like, okay, new direction, new team. We're going to, we're going to, and maybe that's what they're doing here. Right. So a la yeah. X-Men 94, he's like, okay, the new team is now, like you said, Banshee, Forge, Wolverine, Jubilee, Gambit, and Psylocke, which, you know, and Storm and Storm. So you, 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 you hold on to a few mainstays, but we don't have Rogue anymore. We don't have Dazzle. We don't have Longshot. We don't have Colossus. So, yeah, we're just kind of rebooting the team once again. Yep. Kind of a neat idea, but... Cyclops and Jean Grey walk away. We don't belong here right now. Let's let them deal with their stuff. And then a car rolls up, and it's it's uh, Lila Cheney driving. Uh, Guido's in the back seat. He's huge. And then there's two other people in the car who I don't know who they are. Yeah, I don't either. One of them's got a ponytail... Well, one of them's probably Dazzler, right? Because she was there. Maybe. The person in the front seat sort of looks like a doll. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's got, like, nondescript features other than, like, you can barely make out a face. So I don't know who all these four people are. Well, Guido and, and Lila Cheney. But... Maybe it's just two dummies. 
So yeah, they're, they're they're peeling around the corner. They fly out of the car and they're like, hey, "X Men." Hey, who are, who use all the X Men? I'm Guido. This year's Lila Cheney, says Storm. You going with Love Guido or Guido? I go with Guido because I've always gone with Guido, but it's probably Guido. <laughs> uh, your professor Xavier needs you big time. He's in trouble. Take us to him, Lila, at once. Music to my ears, Windrider. And she pops him out just as Cyclops and Jean Grey are headed back. It's like, Jean, get us back there. Something's happening, but they don't make it in time. And the, uh, the new the new X-Men disappear. And uh, that's how we determine who the new team is, because these are all the ones that left. I guess we don't really know what happened to the new mutants. They went off with whatever Cable. Cable was like, yeah, I'm sick of this. Let's, let's go, new mutants. And they're like, okay, boss. Well, I guess it could be like X-Factors heading back to the ship. The X-Men are like, yeah, we're a team. And then they get zapped away and the new mutants are probably just still in the the danger room basement or the, the mansion basement would where be my everybody guess. everybody go? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I thought we were going to have a vote about where to go. Well, all right, whatever. Classic X-Men style, just as you're about to make a major decision, something happens to make that decision for you. Next, not quite what you'd expect as Magneto and Rogue Stage Savage Land Showdown. So, in other words, we're not going to get the answer to this. We're going to get what whatever Magneto and Rogue were up to. Sure, they're hanging out. We know this. Well, we're back, everybody. It was a it was a a lot of Extinction Agenda, a, a lot of B sides. But uh, man, I, I don't even remember the last time we we read an issue of the X Men. Was it like three months ago? It would have been. Well, I mean, we're not recording these once a month, so it was probably. <laughs> It's probably six weeks ago, so about two months ago. Okay. So you weren't too far off. Okay. Don't get used to it, though, because next next episode is B-Sides. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stuff to catch up on. A lot of... What else is happening in the Marvel Universe? I hope there's not a lot. I hope so, too. I like those episodes to be nice and short. Yep. Because we got, we got... We already know we got Excalibur. We got Wolverine. We got New Mutants. We got X-Factor. That's four right there. Oh, it's... It's just too much. <laughs> so, yeah, let us know what you're thinking, how you're feeling. You okay with this new direction, everybody, with, with Wolverine wearing a yellow and blue suit? Visit us at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. Visit us at uh, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, or go out to iTunes or wherever you pick up your podcast to subscribe and uh, I don't know, leave comments and things of that nature. Um, and then uh, check out our our Ten of Swords, Dawn of X, Day of X, wherever we're at on Patreon.com uh, forward slash Danger Room. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. True day, yo. And uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Nothing else. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. We're done. Uh, it's over nothing else yeah go home <laughs> you there uh, in the back why, why are you still on the on the radio <laughs> so until next time my name's jeremy my name's adam and the danger room is closed <laughs>